we're starting a new series today. Uh, the title is, uh, is The Suffering Saints. You've seen the graphics. Um, what we're going to do, really a couple things. One, we're going to take what we learned in the First Peter and Second P- Peter series around suffering, and we're going to begin applying that to, uh, to real stories. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to go through um, biblical stories, different characters in the Bible who walk through suffering for various reasons, some for religious persecution, um, others maybe at the temptation of Satan. Uh, so different reasons for suffering. But we're going to walk through these narratives in this series uh, to apply God's word, um, not just to their stories, but to our own lives. And a second thing that we're going to do, and this is really more of the goal, the aim, or the hope of the series, is that you and I would be uh, more connected uh, to the suffering in everyday life. Not that the suffering would increase, that we'd be more connected to it, that we might then uh, apply God's word and his instruction to those scenarios. Um, So we spend a lot of energy as human beings normalizing that which is not normal. Okay, at a very young age, um, as you encountered sufferings of various kinds, um, one of the ways that we cope with that is we, we make it normal. We normalize it. And the second thing we do is we will oftentimes try to disconnect from the pain of it. And so the last thing that we want to do is be in, intentional about moving towards our suffering. Um, but the reality is that all of life is impacted by suffering. That's what we're going to learn today. We're going to see that there's a reason why things are so hard. There's a reason why things are so sad. There's a reason why there's so much injustice in the world. There's a reason why, if you'll stop and take inventory on the major plot lines of your life, you're going you're to find struggle. Right? You don't have to look very hard to find it. There's a reason for that. You know, we, uh, we sing a song, I don't want to miss one word you speak as a prayer to God. And one way that we can do that today is to listen when we read his word out of the, out of the scripture that God's word speaks to every aspect, every arena of life. So the Bible is not just a useful tool when I need some help understanding religion. The Bible will actually speak to, and I think we'll see that today, every aspect aspect of human life and existence. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the suffering of Adam today and really the origin of suffering itself. We'll start with just a simple definition uh, here. What is suffering? Suffering is, um, this you can get this just by going to a dictionary, the experience of pain, distress, or hardship. It's just a very simple definition of suffering. The experience of pain, distress, or hardship. Some synonyms for suffering. Anguish, trauma, torment, affliction, misery, sorrow. So when we talk about suffering, we're talking about all those things. There's a reason why we create space in our services for you to stop and just take inventory. Blake led us in that today because we recognize that every person in here, Christian and non-Christian, right, you're living in a world of suffering. And so when we walk into here, we want to create space to stop and ask the question, what am I bringing into this, this time and this space so that I'll know what I can then give to God or ask God for help in? And so we're going to walk through the idea of Everything in life is impacted by suffering. 
So I think most of us like to think this way, that most of life is not suffering until I stump my toe. Most of life is how it should be until something goes wrong. Okay. What we're going to learn today is nothing is as it should be. That's going to be good news to you. Nothing is as it should be. So we're going to start with the origin of humanity. What was life like before suffering entered the story? What were we created for? I'm going to give you some, I'm going to move quick at times today, give you some summary. Feel free, if I say anything today you want more information on or you have a question about, to circle back around to myself or one of our other pastors to glad answer questions. But if we were to back up into Genesis 1 and read, what is the purpose of man? Why did God create humans? We'll find this, that first of all, we were created to reflect the imago Dei, the image of God. In our image, we will create them, male and female. We will create them. We were created to have dominion over the earth. We were commanded to keep the garden or to steward it, to manage it. We were created to be fruitful and multiply. And we were also created to not be alone. That's just pulling truth from God's word, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, on what we were created for. We were created for relationship with God and with one another. So we're going to start there in Genesis 2 before anything goes wrong, and we're going to hear God speak to Adam and give him some instruction and tell him um, what the rules of the garden are and what happens if you break the rules. One of the things that Mike prayed for uh, this morning is that through God's word, God would allow us to see his kindness. I think that's one of the things that we assume that if we talk, we're talking about suffering, it has to be void of God's kindness. And so I want you to be listening for and looking for God's kindness today. Starting in Genesis 2, in the garden, before the fall, before a, a rule or a law had been broken, we're going to find Adam and God. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So a couple things. First of all, the idea of working and keeping the garden that is not the result of sin. We were created to work the garden and to keep it. There's a reason why, at times, you enjoy working with your hands and doing things. You were created to do that. We weren't created to just sit on a beach with an umbrella and have people bring us drinks and grapes. Like Adam was put into this, this garden full of everything he needed that was good, and he was still told, hey, while you're there, I want you to work it and keep it. But now God is going to give him the law, the law of the garden. He says this, Every tree of the garden, Adam, you can eat of it. Every one of them, except for this tree. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's really important wording. Up to this point in creation, God has made a declaration over everything he has created. What is his declaration? It is it's good. And after he's done, he says, it's very good. So Adam only has the knowledge of that which is good. That's all he can see and understand. Everything he sees is good. It's very good. 
But what God is saying to him, if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open to another knowledge you don't have right now. That's the knowledge of that which is not good or that which is evil. So you can eat from any, any tree in the garden. But here's your one rule. Do not eat from that one. And then he says, if you do, not only will your eyes be open to that which is evil, it will come with a consequence. The consequence is this. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What God's talking about here is, Adam, if you break this law, if you disobey me here, you will experience death. And so what we're going to see in a moment is, essentially, this is where suffering originates in breaking this law. Because when Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree, they don't immediately just physically die. They still have interaction with God and each other. God's going to give them some more things descriptions of what life's going to be like now that they've broken the law, but they don't immediately die. I mean, they go on to have children and more children. And, but essentially what suffering is, is this. Suffering is death deferred over time. Okay? So suffering is the taste of death. It's just delayed over time. It's spread out over time. Your life and my life will one day apart from Christ returning before we die, we will finally give way to physical death. But we are currently every day experiencing a thousand small deaths over and over and over again. And so suffering is really just death deferred or delayed or spread out over time. What God is saying here is, Adam, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey me, Death will follow. Sin leads to death. Now, already, we, if we'll pay attention, we can begin to see God's kindness. God is a kind father. We see it already in the sense that he's letting his creation know what the rules are, and he's letting them know what happens if the rules are broken. Isn't that what good parents do? I mean, it's a pretty crummy parent that holds children accountable to a standard that they've never spoken of. And not only spoken of the rules, but said, here's what happens if you break this rule. It's what good parents do, right? Like, there's kindness in that. So already you can see God's kindness as he comes to Adam and says, listen, I'm, in my kindness and love for you, I'm letting you know, here's the rule, and here's what will happen if you break it. Well, we know the story. We won't have time to go there today. Um, Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent. They believe a lie about God and themselves. And they take of this fruit and they eat it. Genesis 3 says their eyes were immediately opened, right? To the knowledge now of what? Evil. And they felt, they were both unclothed, they were naked, and they, now they felt shame. Immediately, death begins to sink in. Well, what I want to pick up on is the conversation now that God has with Adam and Eve. So a rule has been given, a rule has been broken. They're already feeling the impact of breaking that rule. Now God is going to step back into the story, interact with them, give them some explanations. He's going to ask them three questions. I'll tell you what they are on the front end. He's going to ask, where are you? 
Then he's going to ask, who told you? And then he's going to ask, what have you done? Okay, so those are three questions coming from God. We'll pick this up in Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths or coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I healed <clears throat> because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, once again, we're going to be looking for the kindness of God. Adam and Eve, at least from what we can understand, don't know exactly what God wants them to do with their sin. And we really don't know how this God, this creator God, is going to react to his creation breaking his rule. Now, I would argue that already they have spent time with God, they have had conversations with God, and they already have begun to know God as a kind God. But now what they were about to encounter was his justice. And what would it look like? Would all of his kindness go down the drain and be replaced simply with, with justice and judgment and wrath? They don't know that information. And so their reaction is to begin to hide from one another. They're covering themselves up and they're hiding from God. We'll start with the first question he asks. Where are you? This is the all-knowing all-present God asking, Adam, where are you? He's, he's not playing hide-and-go-seek. He didn't lose Adam and pull up his 360 app so he could find him. Where are you at, Adam? I can't find you. This question is for Adam, not for God. All these questions are for Adam and for Eve, not for God. What God is doing is he's trying to help Adam locate himself, not just physically and geographically but to see what he's doing you're in a place of hiding right now adam where are you look at where you are and what we'll learn is this that ultimately god is inviting adam to bring something to him god is inviting adam to bring his sin to him in repentance but keep in mind, this is a little risky. Why? Because we don't know yet. What if God isn't gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy and love and good to all? That's a Bible verse that gets repeated a lot in the Old Testament, but it hasn't been written yet. What if God isn't slow to anger? What if he's quick to anger? What if he's quick to fulfill his justice? We've blown it, Eve. Our best bet is just hide from him right let's just prolong our last few moments here in the garden until he just wipes us out that's not what god does the next question he asks is who told you 
you were naked. Well, no one told him, right? Immediately their eyes were open and they knew something was different. So think about that. This feeling of shame that they felt immediately begins to drive them away from their intended God-ordained purpose in life. They're moving towards isolation and hiding and away from being known by God and one another. God declared in Genesis 2, it is not good for man to be, yet the, the moment, the instant that they feel this shame, they begin to move towards aloneness. I mean, even from each other, right? They're not even, they're hiding parts of themselves from one another. I don't trust you to see all of me anymore. They're saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to be kind and gracious and merciful. So I'm going to hide. I'm going to isolate. When you think about that, Man, loneliness isn't a pleasant feeling, is it? Isolation. But in this moment, whatever they were feeling in their loneliness was less than what they felt in their fear and their shame and their guilt. And I want you to think about this. So in this moment, they're feeling all this stuff, and we know that loneliness is not a pleasant feeling, yet loneliness was more attractive to them than that fear and that shame and that guilt that they were feeling. So they withdrew. I'll take loneliness over the fear of being in God's presence. I'll take loneliness, listen to this one, over the fear of being fully known by another human. Does that sound familiar? How many of us? We concede, don't we? We take loneliness over the fear of being fully known. Because if you fully know me, I don't know what you'll do with me. And so loneliness becomes a concession and a way to protect ourselves. And we see this happening immediately at the moment they felt shame. And then this last question, what have you done? We know now, looking back, this is God's invitation into repentance. This is what God asks you. Not because he doesn't know what you've done, but as an invitation to bring what you've done to him. And so he's saying, hey, tell me what you've done. Parents, we can relate to this, right? Just talk to me. I'm telling, if you'll just tell me, I can meet you where you're, I can be with you. I'm telling, if you'll just tell me what you've done. And so we know, especially after last week, looking at the this, this story of the prodigal son, what God does when his prodigals come home and tell dad what they've done. What does he do? He celebrates. Like that whole chapter of Luke is full of parables that indicate what kind of God God is when his children sin and bring that back to him and tell him what they've done. The part of the, I'll just walk through a couple of the, the verses here in Luke 15, 5 through 7. This is the sheep who's gone astray. The good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after and finds the one and brings it back. Verse 5 says, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, doing what? Rejoicing. This is what, this is what God's wanting to do with Adam. I want to rejoice with you. I want to celebrate with you in repentance. 
Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls all together all of his friends and neighbors, saying with them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Listen to verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You begin to see what God's doing with Adam there? He wants to show Adam, I'm like a good shepherd. I celebrate when my children come to me and tell me what they've done. The very next parable is about a woman who lost a coin. Verse 8 says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she does what? Finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors. Again, this celebration happens, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found that the coin I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who are the neighbors and friends that, that God invites to come celebrate? Angels celebrate when humans bring to God what they've done in repentance. And then, of course, the prodigal son. We saw that together last week. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, it would be super tempting to make excuses for Adam right here. They go, well, Adam hasn't heard these parables. It's true. He doesn't know yet what kind of God God is going to be if he tells him what he has done. But here's the thing. This is why I'm not going to make excuses for Adam. We've heard the parables, and we still do the same thing. Right? We, we know the gospel. At least a lot of us in this room know the gospel, and yet we still, in fear and shame, will choose loneliness over being known by God and others. And so Adam is about to find out what kind of God God is, and God is simply just inviting Adam out of hiding. Adam, where are you? Look at where you're at. Who told you these false truths? Pay attention to the voices in your head and the voice in your heart so that you can hear mine. Who told you that? Adam, come to me. Tell me, what have you done? Eve, come to me. What have you done? Can I just tell you that that same invitation is here for you today? And you may have the same dilemma Adam and Eve are having right now. You're like, I just don't know enough about God. It's too scary. Like, what's he going to do if I actually come to him and tell him what I've done? Already we can begin to see hints of God's kindness even when we mess up. Because in his justice... One fatal sweep of his hand and Adam and Eve are dead. And he would have been just to do that. But he doesn't. And in his kindness, now he is going to explain to them what is going to be different. Pay attention. We're going to be reminded of what they were created for. Everything that they were created for now is distorted. Okay, so the list of what they were created for. Reflect the image of God. Have dominion. Keep the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and this, be together in relationship. Don't be alone. 
Now let's look at what God says. In chapter 3 of Genesis, starting in verse 16, he speaks to Eve first. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Do you remember what was created good? Be fruitful and multiply. And so now be fruitful and multiply will now be replaced with the painful burden of of giving birth to children. Bringing forth children will be painful. But not only that, says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. This is the result of the fall. Adam was created to have dominion over the earth, not over his wife. Now he's going to seek to rule over her, over her using his strength and his, maybe his intimidation over her to try to get what he wants out of her. And she's going to be constantly trying to run against the grain of his leadership, contrary to him. So once again, what was beautiful in the beginning has now been distorted. Do you remember what Adam said when he first saw Eve? Let's compare that to what he says now after shame has entered his heart. So at the end of Genesis 2, before the fall, this is what he said. Verse 23, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's excited to see Eve. He's very impressed with what God has done. This is what I've been looking for. I surveyed all of creation, all the animals, and I still felt alone. But with this one, I don't. She's amazing. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and do what? Hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Listen to this. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That was before the fall. Now let's pay attention to what Adam says about Eve after sin enters the story. Verse 12 of chapter 3, Then the man said, The woman that you gave to, <laughs> gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. This is her fault. She's amazing. That's what I've been looking for. It's her fault. Take her out. She did this to me. You see the difference? So so God's telling Adam and Eve, listen, things are going to be different. Be fruitful and multiply is now going to be painful. You actually, some of you ladies won't make it out of childbirth. Not all the babies that are conceived will make it. This is going to be a painful experience of suffering. Marriage, what was meant to be oneness, no shame. Now she's going to be cutting against the grain of your leadership, Adam. And Eve, he's going to be trying to use his strength and and whatever he can to try to rule over you. What God had created good now is not good. The next thing he says this to Adam in verse 17. And Adam, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Here's the curse for you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat 
the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what was in Genesis 2, have dominion over the earth. Work it and keep it and steward it. Enjoy working with your hands and and your brain and your body, this amazing thing I created. Go out into the garden and enjoy. Has now become a curse. To have dominion over the earth now is going to come at a cost. What is the cost? Pain, blood, sweat, tears. Then in verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned away or turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so what what we read in Genesis 2, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, to till the soil of the garden and protect it, has now become he drove the man out. You see that? He put the man in, and now he's taken the man out. And even in this, we see God's kindness. There are two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. God is not trying to be mean to Adam and Eve in his kindness. He recognizes and even has a conversation within the Godhead. If we leave Adam and Eve in the garden and eat of the tree of life, this, this state of being cursed to death will last forever. So in our kindness, let's ban him from the garden, protect it with the cherubim and a sword, not to let him back in. Until we solve this curse of death problem, we've got to keep Adam away from the tree of life. We saw a couple weeks ago at the end of the Second Peter series, the new heaven and the new earth comes with this tree of life. We will one day eat from the tree of life and live forever. But not under the curse of sin and death. So you can see God's kindness, even in banishing Adam and Eve from the garden, there is kindness to protect them. Now what I want to do is shift to God's solution. What is God going to do now with this creation that has been impacted by sin and death? Like everything. Like not just Adam and Eve, but the dirt and the plants and the animals and the ecosystem and the universe. Like everything has been impacted by the curse of sin and death. And so now what we want to do is we want to spend some time looking at how God is going to address this through Jesus. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. I want to make sure we really listen to God's word here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, we just read that story. Death came into the world through one man. Who is that? 
Adam. And death came through his sin. Suffering entered the story because of his sin. And not only that, look at what the rest of verse 12 says. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. Now, if we continue reading in the book of Genesis, the very next chapter, two of their children are going to turn on one another. At least Cain's going to turn on Abel and murder him. And then we get to chapter 5 where Adam and Eve conceive again and Seth is born. And we're going to recognize that, that Adam actually passes on his image to Seth. Adam was created in the image of God. Now that image is distorted, and he's going to pass on that distorted image to his son Seth. Every generation, the curse of sin and death gets passed on. We're born with a sin nature. And this is what Romans 5 is saying, that sin not only entered the, the world through Adam's disobedience, but it spread to every other human. Verse 13, for indeed, indeed, excuse me, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type or an example of the one who was to come. This is actually beginning to move towards Jesus himself. Death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even if their story didn't look exactly like Adam's, even if your story isn't exactly like Adam's, there's a reason why life is so hard. We are born under the curse of sin and death. Romans 8 says that creation itself is groaning right now. And to, to help us wrap our minds around that, Paul uses the, 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 uh, the metaphor of like a woman given birth, like the child, the pain of childbirth. Ladies, that's, that's the pain that creation is feeling right now. Just groaning for some relief. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is where we'll land today. This is the good news of the gospel, starting in verse 21. For as by a man Adam came death, and by a man excuse me, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So I'm going to give you just a a summary of what this is pointing to and how Jesus comes as the answer to the curse of sin and death. So Jesus is born both fully God, fully human. It was important for him to be both. He's the son of God, but he took on the fullness of humanity. And in the fullness of his humanity, he lived the perfectly righteous life that Adam couldn't live. He obeyed the laws. He didn't break any of them. And he also lived the perfectly righteous life that you can't live. So he did that for you even before the cross. Then... That qualified him then to be a legitimate sacrifice for sins. He was the only thing on earth that was not corrupted by sin. And so he willingly went to the cross to die. And in his death, he paid a price for the sin of Adam. Lots of things have died between Adam and Jesus, but none of them were qualified to pay the price. 
Jesus, the perfect Son of God, fully God, fully man, is the first thing on earth since the fall in physical form that was qualified to die and pay a price for our sins. And so he did that willingly for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. He loves you. He sent his son to die. But it wasn't enough just to pay the penalty. We needed the curse removed, right? And so the resurrection is such an important part of the gospel story. Jesus died and he was in the tomb and then he resurrected on the third day. His resurrection was a display of his power and his deity for sure, but it was also Jesus undoing, taking his power and deity and undoing the power of sin and death. Like, no invention of man had ever been able to do that. Nothing within our power and influence and ingenuity was ever good enough to help a human being overcome sin and death. And so Jesus did that. He didn't just show off. He showed up and he broke the power of sin and death for us through his resurrection. And so those who by faith have trusted in Christ are no longer under this curse of sin and death. If you are a Christian, you have been set free from that. You have been made perfect and righteous. The righteous life Jesus lived has now been given to you as a gift. Remember the the prodigal son and the father, he puts a robe on him and a ring on him. That's the righteousness of Christ. That's what God puts on you. When you come to him and tell them the truth about what you've done, that's his response. He celebrates and he puts a robe on you. And he pulls you in. He doesn't push you away. He doesn't scold you. He brings you in. I want to give you some things. And what we're going to do from here in the series is each person who preaches is going to be looking at a different person in the Scripture. And we're going to be applying what we've learned today to their stories. But I want to give you some biblical counsel for Christians in the way that we suffer and endure tragedy. Because see, now that your heart has been made new, the world is still groaning to be made new. Do you know that? That's why it's so hard out there. That's why it's so broken out there. The world has not been yet made new. Just your heart has. Even your body is still suffering. So here's some things we can do. First of all, we can see our current suffering in, in light of the greater story of the fallen world. That's super helpful. To go, oh, this thing at work is not going well and it's hard and it's stressful and I have fear around it and it's just it's painful. Oh, it's part of a bigger story. We can groan. We can groan when we feel the pain of suffering. Groaning could just be you balled up in the closet floor, groaning. Letting it out. This is hard. This is painful. You can use words. Speak to a friend, a counselor, a pastor. You can groan out loud. Use words. This life is hard. Can you help me? We can groan with creation when we feel the pain of suffering. We can mourn with those who mourn. We can weep with those who weep. 
We can stand on this truth that will be unpacked over the next few weeks. God brings a greater good out of our suffering. Suffering isn't wasted. God brings greater good for us out of suffering. We can remind ourselves and one another that we are not created to live in a fallen world. Nothing is as it should be. We can hold fast to our belief in God who will undo the vicious cycle of sin and death that was set in motion at the fall. And this last thing we can trust in the resurrection. We can trust in the resurrection. We can hold fast to our belief in a God who will defeat evil, who will bring sin to an end and put death itself to death. If we kept reading 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be defeated is death itself. We can look back to the resurrection and God has more than shown you he can and he will defeat sin and death and your faith can, can be anchored to that moment in time and that can give you a future hope that there will be a day where the curse of sin and death shall be no more. So what I want to do now is just lay out some questions for reflection for us today. Today we looked at the story of Adam and Eve. We'll come back uh, next week and we'll look at a different character in the Old Testament and, and their experience of suffering and what did it look like in their life. But here's some things for us to think about today. So you're, I want you to think of this. Sin, suffering, and death are all connected. Sin leads to death. Suffering, the in-between, is just death deferred over, or, yeah, death deferred over time. Your sin causes suffering the sin of others causes suffering in your life you see how that how that's connected so I'm going to ask this first question this is really rooted in the idea of where do you see the evidence of this in your life that we've talked about today how have the sins of others caused suffering in your life just go back into your story you shouldn't have to look very hard and you'll see it the sins of another human cause you pain and suffering so just think about that for a minute how have the sins of others caused suffering in your life now I invite you to take another step deeper this is where God was engaging Adam how has your own sin led to suffering for you and others you're, you're, you're not on an island you weren't created to work that way you may be thinking, this is my sin, it only impacts me. I promise you, that's not true. You may not be able to see how your sin impacts others, but it does. How has your own sin led, led to suffering for you and for others? What steps could you take this week to be more known by God? He's asking you the same questions. Hey, where are you? Hey, look, where are you at? Who told you this mess of lies? Come tell me, what have you done? How could you take a step towards that God this week? Maybe even today, before you leave here. And what steps could you take this week to be more known by God and others in your suffering?
Listen, God is not sitting in heaven going, your problem, told you so. You should have listened, Adam. Figure it out on your own. I told you it was going to be hard. No, God in his kindness meets you in your suffering. That's how good he is. Even in your suffering, he meets with you. What steps could you take this week to be known, to step out of hiding in your suffering and in your sin, to be known by God and others? That's the invitation of the garden. I want to leave you with that this morning. And if you're here today and this has stirred up a bunch of big stuff in you, um, I want to give you some direction around that, okay? Um, If you need prayer today, we want you to know we have people in place to pray for you. Uh, prayer partners will ask to be at the front of the service on both sides be honored to pray over anything going on in your mind your heart right now anything like you're not going to embarrass us nothing's going to come up that they're like ah you should have stayed seated that's not where no they're going to receive you telling you they're going to pray for you if this is stirring up something in you you need more help with that our pastors our elders are here we ask our elders to wear lanyards in the foyer Um, Is that way you can easily identify? You can grab an elder and say, can we go to a prayer room? Do you have space for me today? Can I just tell you what's going on in my life? And you can share that with somebody. Grab one of our pastors, Blake, Nick, myself. Uh, Pastor Clovis is on hand too. Our new executive pastor's here. So first Sunday on duty. So you grab him, I'm telling you. I know his heart. He would love to pray with you today. Some of you may just need to stand and sing. Maybe today just unlock some things for you. Like, oh, that's why that's happening. And if that's your response, I want to give you space to do that as the band leads us, okay? Let me pray for us now, and then we'll respond. And Father, thank you for your word. And God, when we open your word and we read it, God, it tells us so much about the world and about our own lives and hearts. Father, in the story of Adam and Eve, we see our own stories. God, both that which has been done to us and that which we've participated in. Father, it's not fun to talk about suffering. It's not fun to talk about the curse of sin and death, but God, that is the explanation for what is going on in the world. And so we thank you that in your kindness, you don't withhold truth from us. Just like you met with Adam and said, here's the truth. If you do this, this is what happens. You're here to meet with us today. So Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit now to move in in this room, move in our hearts. If somebody's listening online, your Holy Spirit right now would just work in them. And God, through your Spirit working in us, you would bring to mind this, this beautiful, kind invitation. What have you done? Please bring that to me. So God, may we bring you our sin today. We trust you enough to bring you our suffering today. Father, anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day of salvation, to take that step of faith, to trust in Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. So Father, would you do this now for us in Christ's name, amen.